Welcome to the sermon podcast of Faith Lutheran Church in Oregon, Wisconsin, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ crucified and the promises of God that our faith clings to. For more information, visit us online at faithlutheranoregon.com. This is the day the Lord has made, the Lord has made known to us and to all the earth his salvation. This is the day which we have been born, not of flesh and blood, nor of the will of man, but born of God. By the waters of the roaring sea and the clapping hands of the rivers which God has tamed and brought to us in holy baptism, he has revealed to us his glory. This is the day we celebrate not merely Christ's birthday, but our heavenly birth. The new man created by God in holy baptism can truly rejoice and sing unto God a new song, for we have been made new, new creations, new creatures. But the world that does not know God cannot sing this. They sing the same old song, the same old song of death and decay and darkness. Those who trust in themselves do not recognize the God who created them or who has come to save them. So they sleep. And when they arise, they they numb themselves with things of their own making, with things of their own buying. They get drunk on created things. They eat, drink, and are merry, for tomorrow they die. But we are born of the light. So we arise and we sing joyfully because this is the day our Savior came to take man's nature and his name and by his incarnation to win for man salvation. We, by his incarnation, receive God's nature and his name. So today we celebrate our birth, our new So let us sing to God a new song, the new song of the gospel. Let us arise, rejoice, and sing joyfully, rejoice, rejoice, this happy morn.
Psalm 98. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have gained for him the victory. The Lord has made known his salvation. His righteousness he has revealed in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his mercy and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. Break forth in song, rejoice and sing praises. Sing to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of a psalm, with trumpets and with the sound of a horn. Shout joyfully before the Lord the King. Let the sea roar in all its fullness, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills be joyful together before the Lord. For he is coming to judge the earth. With righteousness he shall judge the world and the peoples with equity. And we pray. Heavenly Father, sanctify us by the word. The word, your son, is the truth. Sanctify us by the truth. Amen. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. Christ is born. To us a son is given. Come and behold him. Come and behold his glory as we sang the glories of his righteousness. But what are these? What's so special about him? If you, if you come to the manger, what will you see? Well, that depends if you have merely the eyes of sight or the eyes of faith. The world sees something different in Christmas. Christmas has been notoriously emasculated in popular culture. The popular opinion of, of Christmas and Christ and Christianity is what the majority of the world sees is that it's no different than a cartoon, a fairy tale, a myth. Christmas is special because it's, it's a time of, of love, of, of peace, of goodwill. A pretty girl, an adorable, a cute, harmless baby sleeping peacefully in an idyllic pastoral setting outside in the country, in a cute little barn outside of a cute little town of Bethlehem on a still silent night with sheep buying, shepherds cooing, and a long and long-haired elegant lady angels sweetly singing. And so the features that popular culture focuses on for Jesus at Christmas are, are what? His cute, chubby cheeks, his chubby legs, and the fact that no crying he makes. It's a tepid little scene, and easy and inoffensive to take in, except for it being utterly meaningless, and something to make kids grow out of, and grown men check out from. Yet this is certainly not the picture of Christmas that we get from John's Gospel this morning with the only begotten Son of God suddenly breaking into creation, overcoming the darkness. John does say, we have seen his glory, but the world does not receive him. And even in the Luke 2 gospel account that we heard last night, not even Luke, the writer, who is a physician after all, not even Luke describes Jesus' physical uh, 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 appearances uh, or the physical features of Jesus or the barn, uh, or the manger, or, or what the weather was like, for that matter. Nothing that you can see with your eyes, with one exception. 
Luke recorded the mother of God, Mary's song, the Magnificat, which you sang last night at Vespers. And in her song, Mary marveled at one physical feature of her newborn son. And it's the same physical feature that our psalm for Christmas morning, Psalm 98, the same song in which Joy to the World is based on, is the same physical characteristic the psalm extols. Did you catch it? Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have gained him the victory. The mother of God used the same image when she sang, and holy is his name, and his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm, and he scattered the proud. This robust image of the arm of God is a metaphor that's used in connection with the noun salvation and the adjective holy. God's arm is righteous, and it wins salvation. Now, in the Old Testament, God's arm is seen whenever the pre-incarnate Christ, that is, the second person of the Godhead, who is God of God and light of light, God's arm is seen whenever he breaks into human history to save his people. He's a fighter with an outstretched arm come to save his people, whatever the cost. When the pre-incarnate Son of God called to Moses from the burning bush, he said, by a strong hand, Pharaoh will be forced to let his people go. God will redeem you with an outstretched arm. In 1446 B.C., the Son of God goes single-handedly or single-armedly up against the most powerful army in the world. And actually, he, as he goes up against them, he decides not to use his whole arm, but as he later says, he uses just his finger, his little finger. And the sea roared, the rivers clapped their hands, God split the waters, the sea for the Israelites, and the entire army of Egypt is swept away. Later, when God's people were exiled in Babylon, again, the arm of God went up again the most powerful nation in the world. And Isaiah writes that on behalf of his people, God has shattered the yoke that has burdened them. He's broken the bar on their shoulders and the rod of their oppressor as he did in the day of Midian. Even Babylon comes crashing down when the arm of God comes up against it. Throughout the Old Testament, in, in every case, the redemption of God's people of the oppressed is attributed to the flexing of God's muscles, as it were, on their behalf. God's salvation and what the angels announce is not simply a holiday greeting, something to put on a Christmas card once a year. It's not merely a pious wish, a feeling of goodwill, or a vague idea of peace. God's salvation is a wrought reality. Whoever or whatever is holding his people in slavery needs to be beaten out, hammered, pulverized, killed, and swept away. But in our case, it's not a nation but it's our own sinful flesh. We needed to be saved from ourselves. 
our own unbelief, our own darkness, our own sin, our own sinful natures, our own sinful flesh. So in order to overcome our sinful flesh, it needs to be beaten, hammered, pulverized, and even killed and swept away. But the only problem is that God loves us too much to do that. He does not want us to be his enemies. He wants to save us as he did Noah, as he did the Israelites from Egypt, as he did Judah from Babylon. He does not want us to see us swept away from him. He wants to save us once and for all. So what God does then is inhabit our own flesh. To save us from it, Jesus himself takes it on. The mighty arm of God chooses to leave the right hand of God. He sets aside his strength. He sets aside his authority. He has to make himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant coming in the likeness of men. The arm of God, whom the sea and the wind obey, doth come to join us and our children in our weakness. He who never slumbers nor sleeps becomes so helpless that he needs his mother and his mother's arms to wrap his arms in swaddling clothes so that he can sleep. He needs his mother's arms to place him in a manger. He needs his mother's arms to lift him up so he can eat and drink. The arm of God becomes so humble that he is offensive. Born in a stall, rejected by Joseph's own family for being born, they think, out of due time. The king is here, but earth does not receive her king. But his arms will grow. And yet not once will they be used for destruction, like we use our arms. His arms will only be used for restoration, like they did in the beginning when they fashioned and created the universe. For 33 years, he will use his arms perfectly to restore creation. We use our arms for selfish gain. He will use them for us. He will allow himself to be taken in the waters of baptism, to be baptized to fulfill all righteousness. He will obey. He will keep. He will restore. He will heal. He will touch. He will bless. He will gather. He will raise up. He will worship. He will read. He will pray. And finally, his arms will be tied. They'll be led out of the city and nailed to a cross. And inhabiting our flesh, his outstretched arm will be beaten, hammered, pulverized, and even killed and buried. He will save his people, whatever the cost. God's salvation is not some imaginary, effeminate, picturesque scene but is the most rugged reality. God saves man by the forceful intrusion of his righteousness and holiness into man's history, into our nature. As Psalm 98 says, God has truly done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have gained him the victory. 
His righteousness he's revealed in the sight of the nations. When he was lifted up for all the world to see, he revealed his glorious outstretched arms of righteousness. On the cross to all nations, he revealed the glories of his righteousness. In the marvelous things, these wonders of his love, of the incarnation, of his suffering, death, burial, and resurrection, God's arm invades and changes human history. By him taking on our life, we are given access to the life of God. Psalm 98 says that this substance of the gospel is proclaimed to all nations of the earth. Joy to the world. All the, all the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. And so this gospel, this message is far greater, far more meaningful, far more powerful and life-giving than any earthly notion or religion. The gospel, and therefore Christmas, is not merely some theory about God. It's not about a set of norms or traditions or doing all the right things. And it has nothing in common whatsoever with any pagan religion or speculations because all of those focus on your activity, what you can do with your strength, how by your arms you may ascend to God. But the gospel is truly a new song. There's nothing else like it. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. No other religion or idea on earth has ever conceived of God becoming man to save us by his weakness. The gospel is what God has done with his strength. Ironically, by, by laying it aside, he has shown strength with his arm casting down the wise and mighty in themselves, and instead raising the poor in spirit, those who trust in God for their salvation. His arms have atoned for our sins. But his arms are not yet done. They have one final thing to do. The final verse of Psalm 98 says, he is coming to judge the earth. This echoes Isaiah 51, which will be quoted by our epistle to the Hebrews. My righteousness is near. My salvation has gone forth, and my arms will judge the people. You, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain, and they will grow old like a garment, like a cloak you will fold them up, and they will be changed. God's arm will come to judge the world. His arm that made heaven and earth will fold them up like a garment, like a robe. But heaven and nature sing, because they will be changed from their current deprived state to full glory new creation, new birth. See, joy to the world and Christmas itself is not about looking back, but about looking forward. Celebrating the victory that God's right arm has gained, knowing that he is still present with us and looking forward to when he comes in glory again to judge. 
And because Christ has already done marvelous things, Christmas means that the standard by which we will be judged has already been fulfilled. With righteousness, he shall judge the world. He judges not on the basis of our own works, but on the basis of his work and his holy and righteous arm. When we sing joy to the world, the Lord is come. We mean it. It's not that the Lord has come, but the Lord is come. Our Savior is here by his incarnation in bread, wine, word, and water. By his outstretched arm, he has come to fight our battle. And one day, we will see by sight what we know to be true by faith. We will behold his glory, the glories of his righteousness, his righteous and holy arm that have gained us the victory through holy baptism. So let every heart prepare him room. For he who has ascended again to the right hand of God is coming again with his outstretched arm to save. Come and see the glories of his righteousness. In Jesus' name, Merry Christmas. Amen. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be forevermore. Amen.